Welcome to Funeral Gurus Radio. I am your host, Robin Heppel from FuneralFutures.com. We are starting our pre-conference interviews for the ICCFA annual convention that is going to be held in Las Vegas, Nevada from March 19th to the 22nd. Today's guest is Mark Jorgensen, who is the owner and president of Global Recruiters of Batesville. Mark, are you there? Well, great, Mark. I've been really looking forward to our topic. Uh, but before we dive into it, can you share a little bit of background about yourself and your company? Sure, Robin. Uh, I've uh, been privileged to be associated with funeral service in my prior work at uh, the Forthout Group for about 13 years, where I served as the vice president and general manager, and had an opportunity to buy this small business in Baseville uh, three years ago. Global Recruiters is a nationwide network of independently owned management search and recruiting firms, and Global Recruiters of Batesville uh, specializes in funeral service, cemetery, cremation professions, pretty much everything that touches the profession, both on the operations side and on the vendor supplier side. Now, Mark, you're going to be presenting evaluating resumes to qualify great hires, and uh, this is always a hot topic, and uh, uh, before we dive right deep into it, uh, can you just maybe um, provide a little bit more insight of uh, what you've seen with your company? Sure. We, uh, as you might imagine, in the course of a year, see thousands of resumes potentially. And so we'd like to think we get some cycles of learning through that process of, of evaluating and qualifying those. And not that we're necessarily better at it than any of the, the managers and owners that we'll speak with in Las Vegas. But certainly we've had an opportunity through seeing those to uh, discern, and especially in the context of seeing them and then doing a follow-up interview to try to see how closely the resume actually matches the qualifications of of the individual. Now, in your presentation, Mark, you're going to be tackling uh, or you're going to be sharing four uh, recruiter techniques, including bridging the gap, job du jour, relocation patterns, and degrees of truth. Can you uh, just explain that, explain those for the folks, please? Sure. Uh, bridging the gap is uh, our way of trying to understand um, what happens with the time sequence in a resume. And while we take most people or all people to be basically honest, I think the point's been made oftentimes that if people are going to stretch the truth a little bit, They'll probably do it in a resume, if nowhere else in, uh, in their endeavors or in life. So what we're really trying to understand is, do the facts accurately represent, particularly in times uh, or in terms of the time sequences involved in the process? And uh, as a walkthrough of that resume, does it make sense? Does it hold together in terms of a portrayal of their, their career? their education, their employment history. Job du jour uh, is a way of looking at uh, the number or frequency of job changes. And there certainly are cases where more frequent job changes make sense. And that's what we're trying to do in that section is to try to enlighten folks a little bit on that. Uh, And certainly, I feel like everybody is entitled to a a big mistake in their career, that one position they took, that one move they made that perhaps uh, didn't work out right through no fault of their own or through their own fault. But uh, what we really have concern about is certainly 
frequent job changes over the course of a career. So we want to look at some rules or some guidelines to share that we've, uh, we've come upon in terms of assessing that. The third point, relocation patterns, we think that's important as well. Uh, we like to look at folks who are willing and able to relocate. That's certainly uh, a good signal for a candidate that they're able to do that. However, again, as you look at that, has it made sense in terms of forward progress in these career transitions? And finally, what I call degrees of truth, and that's where ambiguity in the resume has to be examined. And so if a university is listed, did they just attend there or did they actually graduate? And it's not always clear from what's on the printed document. So it requires a little bit more investigation to dig deeper and understand what's happened in the course of their education. Well, hey, Mark, this is great stuff. Um, now, I'm going to keep diving in a little bit deeper here, and we hear about the current economic climate. And, and you know, with these, um, with these interviews, what I like to do, first of all, is promote the convention. Uh, secondly, promote your presentation at the convention, but also have, uh, have these as a resource for people who can't attend, because a lot can't, especially if someone's out of work. And um, now we hear that people may have been uh, off work for 12 months or 18 months. Uh, you know, is that a valid excuse to have a gap on your, uh, on your resume for that period of time? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it certainly can be valid. I think if an aerospace engineer has been out of work for three years in this economy, that's understandable. A little less so in our professions, and that's the good news. There are abundant opportunities that have been positions and good positions open throughout the years that I've had this business, even with the ups and downs of the economy. Oftentimes, it's a question of candidate choice. Are they willing or able to make a relocation for that next position? And uh, that uh, is most often the thing that keeps uh, positions open in particular areas or keeps candidates unemployed if they choose to stay in the profession but uh, can't make that move. Now, Mark, do you, do you find that when uh, when folks are looking for a new job, you know, the, the candidates, are they are they picky or, you know, are they way more inquisitive now, um, you know, wanting to lo- know a lot more details about where the, uh, where the jobs are or, you know, instead of just rushing to get the next job? That's a great observation. They are much more mode to question opportunities today, and I think they're more educated as a result of the current financial situation. They want to look at not just the change in salary, uh, obviously the level at which they would have to contribute to health care coverage is a big concern today. Beyond that, I think they're also looking at how can uh, I have assistance on relocation and that's the dollars involved in the relocation expense. But bigger than that, oftentimes they want to go in-depth and understand uh, the quality of the school district in that community, uh, quality of life issues overall. Where uh, can my spouse be employed? If the spouse is, say, a teacher or a, a surgical care nurse, what opportunities exist? And how might the employer help in at least securing interviews or contacts for the spouse upon arrival in the new community. So there's a lot better work going on in many cases by candidates today 
to discern the, the total picture in that new position and new community. Uh, out of economic necessity to a great deal. Uh, if they are going to surrender the spouse's career to make the move, they want some assurance that uh, there will be employment opportunity. And I think there's also great concern about will I be able to sell my current house and purchase one in the new community in the current uh, mortgage environment. Yeah, it sure is a lot different uh, now than it used to be, that's for sure. Now, Mark, um, what about, you know, the next generation of new entrants coming in? Uh, you know, the younger people, uh, we've been told, don't have the same uh, work attitudes as uh, as people that have been in, uh, in the workforce for for 20 years or so. And, you know, how does that, how is that going to play out? I've, I've seen it change over the last five years and 10 years. But, um, you know, now, you know, with us being told that there's going, that uh, people are going to have multiple careers during their working life, uh, how do owners face that? That, uh, you know, do they have to just realize that they're not going to be able to bank on a 25-year to even 40-year career out of someone? And what kind of should they be expecting and what should they be happy with? Well, I think that's a great observation, and we can uh, see that in, in the uh, career world more broadly in that uh, even students today were, are being counseled don't expect lifetime employment in the corporation or in a family business. So people are at a point where they are more open to changing more frequently, uh, even every three to five years, I don't think will be uncommon going forward. And so I think funeral service and cemetery professions are falling right in line with that. We're seeing folks who uh, will move uh, for an opportunity they perceive to be better, or they may exit the, uh, the profession if they don't find it to be what they expected coming in. Mark, now when I'm talking to uh, the folks at the Mortuary Science Colleges, you know they're telling me that uh, over 50% of the people uh, enrolling in mortuary science are female. And uh, so obviously you've... Um, probably seen that trend too what are you what are your observations on that and what do you think that's going to uh, uh, how will that affect the funeral service we found a lot of opportunities for uh, women in the profession particularly as they're at the beginning of their career in, in funeral service and uh, so we're, we're excited about that and about the opportunity to work with them uh, it is um, you know, certainly a situation, too, and I'll say this for both women and men, just kind of follow up on our earlier point here, that uh, to retain uh, these great folks that, that you bring on board, there really needs to be a career track or career path outline for them so that it's more than just a job. It's an opportunity to see that uh, in two years or four years or five years, where could I be with this funeral home? Where could I be with this combo uh, operation in terms of career advancement. And I think if they see a clear path and have a plan to get there, both in terms of position and compensation, that the opportunity to retain them is much greater. So then, Mark, you're saying that uh, you know the managers need to be a little bit more open with the future plans and how the employee may fit into those plans, uh, kind of instead of being uh, a little guarded about, uh, about the future? Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point. And upon hire of, of a, uh, let's say, a new funeral director or a fairly recently licensed person, 
to be able to sit down with them and say, if you meet your objectives, which we will uh, be very clear about on the on the front end, uh, you know, after one year, you could expect this change in compensation. After two years, you could become a senior funeral director on our staff. After four years, you could be a lead funeral director for uh, a team. Uh, all those sorts of career path uh, structures that could be put in place will make it very clear that uh, this individual doesn't need to leave uh, for a modest increase to, to work someplace else, that there's an opportunity for them to stay and succeed. And I think we all win when, uh, when good candidates are retained at, uh, with, with our good clients. Yeah, for sure, Mark. <laughs> now, um, you know, just kind of going deeper here. What about um, you know, what about the change in job descriptions? Uh, you know, here in BC, we are uh, you know ninety percent cremation, high eighties, ninety percent, depending on where you are in the province. And uh, you know, in the job descriptions here for the uh, intake of of new people entering uh, you know funeral service college, they. Um, you know, they're going to end up coming out of that with um, being a licensed funeral director and also a certified crematorium operator because 90% of the people are being cremated. Now, you know, still it doesn't mean that only 10% are being embalmed, but, you know, maybe if it's 50%, it may, maybe, maybe not. Um, but still, uh, just from the way it is, there needs to be more, there's this other skill needed and more so than what, um, you know, the traditional uh, thoughts have been. And uh, I'm sure all the traditional funeral directors have just gasped now. But uh, um, you know, what have you seen? What are your observations uh, kind of throughout, uh, throughout the country? Well, I certainly affirm what you're saying there. And that is one thing we hear more and more. We know, uh, all of us, that cremation is increasing, whether that's in... Uh, very traditional funeral markets uh, or on the east and west coast. And so one thing we hear most often from clients today is uh, they want folks uh, joining their staff who have those great people skills and can arrange and counsel and conduct funerals. And many times they're even saying, you know, we will handle the embalming uh, through a specialized position in the organization or through a third party. Uh, we really want those, uh, those upfront skills. So I'm a little concerned when I go and speak to a group of students at a mortuary college and hear from some of them that their real passion is for embalming. And that's not that, uh, that they shouldn't have that or want to do that, but they won't be as marketable in terms of their personal brand with uh, prospective clients because of that. It's going to put them in a niche, and uh, there, there just won't be the same level of opportunity, at least through, uh, through the folks we work with. Okay, Mark. Well, <laughs> since I've made some feel some people feel uncomfortable, uh, we'll just kind of keep going there. What are, What are your thoughts about um, uh, hiring uh, non licensed staff? Um, and I'm not just talking about funeral attendants, but I'm talking about um, you know maybe people who um, are there to do more of the creative things. So sure, the you need to have your licensed uh, funeral director to make the arrangements, and your like your licensed embalmer to do the preparation. But there's uh, you know a lot of other things that can be 
looked after by someone else, maybe someone who has that creative flair or touch, um, you know, almost like having uh, your own Martha Stewart on staff. And, um, you know, particularly with, um, you know, more and more celebration of life services, these services need to be um, very, you know, very meaningful, very creative. And uh, we're just really broadening that skill set of, uh, you know, just being a, a good funeral director, arranger, and embalmer is a very diverse skill set. Now we throw on, you know, being totally creative too. And I'm sure there's people out there that can do that, but uh, not everyone can. Well, I agree with you. I think we see that emerging, but in the short term at least, we've not had as much call for that. Uh, so... Uh, Again, though, I, I really believe that's where we will be uh, in, the, in the near future. I, I am working, interestingly, on a search currently for a newer funeral home property where the primary skills desired are those of community relations, involvement, and getting out and building visibility for the firm, much less so the, the sort of traditional uh, funeral directing and embalming skills. So it certainly is shifting, at the very least, to emphasize uh, building in the, in the community. Okay. Um, now, hey, Mark. Uh, you know, before we wrap up, what about the uh, you know the new folks that are considering uh, entering funeral service, and you know, maybe what advice can you give them to make them uh, more uh, hireable and, and desirable and uh, and you know about uh, you know with them joining the funeral profession at this time, you know what are some of the pros and cons that they should be aware of? Well, I think, uh, and I encourage students in the mortuary programs where I get out and speak uh, on a pretty regular basis to have a, a very broad-based skill set. So beyond the standard curriculum, if they're able to take other coursework or gain other experiences even work experiences that give them a chance to uh, interact with, with people on a regular basis. I think those are certainly uh, a plus for young people in the, in the profession and entering the profession. And I think the other side of it is for them to keep an open mind. Uh, sadly, I think a lot of very talented people who would enter the profession uh, come from uh, a small town somewhere and they get to the end of their degree process they're ready for an apprenticeship, and uh, basically we'll make a decision, uh, I've got to work within 10 miles of my hometown or I'll exit the profession. And so that's one of the real challenges is to turn that around and, and to open people's horizons a bit to say, hey, let's, let's find an apprenticeship for you or an opportunity maybe outside of your, your comfort zone to go out and, and experience another degree of, of um, evolution in your, your uh, career, so to speak, and uh, then have an opportunity maybe to get back closer to home. And, and sadly, that's a point at which a lot of people leave the profession. They'll go home and, and uh, work at Walmart rather than go apprentice uh, somewhere a couple of hours away. Yeah, I guess there's uh, all those other jobs that are, uh, you know, they're vying for good quality people as well. Now, hey, Mark, you know, I'd be totally remiss if I didn't uh, ask you about social media and its effect on uh, on hiring new, uh, either new uh, apprentices or interns or also, uh, you know, just new licensees. So, um, you know, what's um, what have you seen and, and how, first of all, I guess, how important is it for, for people to have 
a well-built uh, LinkedIn profile, uh, since that's the business uh, social network, uh, as well as a, a Facebook profile, which can show someone you know that they're very connected in within their community. What are your thoughts on that, Mark? Yes, we sure do, and uh, I will say that I think our profession is a little bit behind the curve in terms of being connected in that way, and yet this generation coming up will be very connected through uh, LinkedIn, certainly, and uh, Facebook. I guess a couple of thoughts for folks that might be practical considerations for those entering the profession. One would be to make sure they've got an email address that is professional. You'd be surprised how many times it's one that is either done for fun but but not very professional, not very business appropriate. And so even if it's an alias and they retain their one they use with uh, with their own friends, it helps to have one that uh, that looks professional. And likewise, as you might imagine, they need to be very thoughtful about what they post at Facebook. Prospective <laughs> hiring firms are going to uh, go out and search and if they find things at Facebook that are unsettling, uh, that's maybe enough in many cases for them to pass over a candidate. Yeah, and uh, you know, people need to know just how easy it is to uh, untag themselves from photographs or even delete photos, even though that's a little bit of a process. Um, but uh, you know, they just need to be totally aware. Don't take the shortcut of of just trying to monkey with your privacy settings to you know leave all that uh, you know personal stuff up there. Uh, thinking that it's only for certain people because, uh, you know, maybe that uh, prospective um, manager is uh, literally a friend of a friend and could, uh, you know, see that whole profile. But <clears throat> but on the other hand, too, Mark, you know, I, I totally believe, you know, we need to be human and, and we need to, uh, you know, show a, that we are not these uh, stuffy kind of people and, and, you know, funeral service is a relationship business. So, um, you know, I think there's a... Uh, a good blend there, but uh, obviously, if you're if you're looking for job, uh, you know, error on the side of caution. So, uh, I guess you'd recommend to delete those keg stand photos, eh, Mark? Well, that's right. And uh, interesting corollary to that: we had a candidate at one point and discovered along the way that his wife had a blog where she put in very lengthy daily entries and was uh, posting a running commentary on her opinions about the prospective employer. And uh, so it can even extend to, uh, to family and friends sometimes making comments that are inappropriate about the, the process. Hey, Mark, uh, putting you on the spot here, what's the worst thing that you've seen from a, a prospective client now? Obviously, if it's uh, you know, too bad, we don't, you don't have to go into great detail. But, uh, um, you know, someone who's um, you know, looking for a job, what did you, uh, you know, is there anything that you saw that you just couldn't believe that someone had? Well, that's a good question. I don't know if there's a particular one that uh, comes to mind, but uh, it, it does sort of circle us back to the, the, the theme of this presentation, and that is uh, we do tend to see lots of things in resumes that we, we determine through a, a very intense interview process are, are inaccurate, incomplete, or in some way don't truthfully reflect uh, the, the candidate. Uh, I, I will tell you that we have collected a number of uh, things we find humorous over the years through the through this process as well, uh, and I'm going to share uh, a few of those at the presentation. Uh, and there are some great sources on resume humor, as you might imagine. A lot of folks 
have had occasion to see these uh, through their own interview process. But um, I'll just share a couple of those with you that not through our office, but through other recruiters uh, that have found statements on resumes such as, please don't misconstrue my 14 jobs as job hopping. I have never quit a job. Uh, <laughs> or the company made me a scapegoat, just like my three previous employers. And uh, <laughs> then you see things, too, that are, are just simple typographical errors that, that speak to something about the candidate's thoughtfulness and proofreading. Uh, one of those was education, simply stated, college, August 1880 to May 1984. And that's even longer than I took to get my undergraduate degree, <laughs> about, what, 104 years. <laughs> and, uh, finally, this one, instrumental in ruining entire operation for a Midwest chain. So, uh, and, that, and that was on someone's ray. Yeah, yes, uh, <laughs> running it and ruining it. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> We're actually going to try to be interactive in the session as well, and, and we're going to share a sample resume as a handout that's a compilation of a lot of the, the unusual things we see and, and, and spend some time uh, just back and forth with a little bit of uh, exploring what folks see on that resume and what we might see and hopefully it becomes a sort of a hands-on experiential time in the course of that 50-minute uh, gathering. Hey Mark, that's great. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be uh, entertaining, uh, interactive, and uh, and really useful for the people who attend. So so that's awesome. Hey, before I let you go, uh, any final thoughts? No, I again, I think uh, folks will enjoy this time there. It is keyed a little bit toward owners and managers who need to discern these things in resumes, but I think it's equally useful to people who are going to be on the other side of the desk because as a candidate, if we know and understand. Uh, the kinds of questions we might expect and what people expect to see as far as information on our resume, that can be helpful for us uh, as, as we go through that experience. Well, that's great, Mark. I'd like to thank Mark Jurgensen from the Global Recruiters of Batesville, who will be presenting Evaluating Resumes to Qualify Great Hires at the ICCFA Annual Convention that's going to be held in Las Vegas, Nevada from March 19th to the 22nd. For more information and registration details, visit www.iccfa.com. Check back soon for another ICCFA pre-conference interview. On behalf of FuneralGurus.com, this is Robin Heppel.